All right, good morning. Hope you found your seat. He said, have a seat. Hope you got one. No one's standing. Well, a couple of people in the back. Okay, it's been a while since I've been here. Hope I can remember what to do. So I have a survey I want to start us off with. I want you to raise your hand if you are on Instagram. Not this minute, but you have an Instagram account, okay? Come on, raise them high. To own it if you do it. All right, well, that's good. I'm not alone. That was all I wanted to know. I just want to make sure I'm not alone because I have an Instagram account myself. And once I got on there, I realized there's all sorts of really cool stuff on Instagram. There's some really wonderful stuff. And you know, our church has an Instagram account. I check that all the time because I don't want to miss anything. It's a great communication tool. But beyond that, the, the great thing about Instagram, the, the really, really great thing about Instagram is... Well, really, it's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem. <laughs> now that I'm in the, on Instagram and, and, and I'm following certain people, I realize I need to up my wardrobe a little bit. I need to get better clothes. And <laughs> so I'm out there buying clothes and, and all that stuff. And, 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 you know, I'm kind of bothered by the great vacations some of you guys kind of have. You've got these cool pictures that you show. And I've even been to some of the places you've been to, but your cool pictures are way better than my cool pictures. And, that kind of bothers me a little bit, you know, and I'm kind of bothered by these cool preachers. I do some, follow some other churches, and these cool preachers with their skinny jeans and their overpriced sneakers, and <laughs> kind of bothered by that a little bit, you know. So I figured the way I was going to solve this was I'm going to get off Instagram. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to be part of it anymore, no more. But then I thought, wait a minute, I'm not a quitter. I am not a quitter, so I got back on. I'm just going to up my game. i got to get my hashtag on a little better than I'm doing right now. And so I'm going to start using filters. I'm going to start using cropping and editing. And, and I'm only going to post the pictures that are the very best pictures. And I'm going to take that picture until it comes out perfect. And, and I'm going to put on Instagram the highlight reel of my life so that my wonderful and perfect life looks better than your wonderful and perfect life. Right? No, that's not what I'm going to do. See, the great thing about Instagram is that it is a constant reminder. It is a constant reminder, and we all need reminding. It's a constant reminder that there is no win in comparison. All that does is breed contentment. There is no win when we try and compare ourselves to other people. There are all sorts of studies, I found, on social media and its impact on us as a, as a people. And it's not a good impact for the most part. They show that, that it creates this discontentment inside of us. It creates this skewed self-image we tell ourselves lies and we develop the best stories we can when we're, we're trying to present something we are not. We post pictures of, that look good and they look perfect and, and they share only good news. <laughs> and all of this does is breed discontentment. Now, you may be wondering why I'm talking about this like this. Well, we're going to talk about contentment today. And I want us to think about that. I want us to think about the things that capture our attention and capture our life and, and that breed discontentment. We're in this series in 1 Timothy, and it's called In This House, and we've been in it for quite some time. We're all the way to chapter 6 now. We only have two weeks left after this, but today we're going to talk about contentment. 
Paul talks to Timothy about the true contentment because he knows that discontentment is going to mess up our life in all sorts of ways. So we want to learn about contentment. Turn with, your, with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll start with verse 3, and I'm going to read through the entire passage all the way through verse 10 because I want us to get this whole context, and I want us to understand Scripture in the totality of what we're going to study today. So if you don't have a Bible, look at the screen behind me and follow along as I read these verses for us this morning. Paul writes, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is God's Word. And for the next few minutes, we're going to try and dig into this a little bit. And my goal is that by the end of this time, that we just not learn about contentment, but we listen to what Paul has to say to us, what God is saying to us through Paul this morning. So let me ask another question. And this is going to be a question that I just want you to resonate with throughout the entire morning. Are you a person that wants more Or are you a person that has enough? What word best describes you? More or enough? I know some of you may be thinking, well, it'd be enough if I had, right? (laughs) If I had more. (laughs) Well, if that is you, this word enough is not really your word. It's more like the word more because that's what it's about. And the word more and contentment are not usually compatible. They usually are are opposite from each other. The truth is contentment, though, is not dependent on our outward circumstances of whether we have more or not. It's not dependent on whether I'm rich. It's not dependent on whether I have the perfect house. It's not dependent on whether I have a job that I really love and pays me the kind of income I think I deserve. It's not dependent on whether I have that boyfriend or I have that girlfriend. No, it's dependent on our heart attitude and our will. It's dependent on what's inside our heart. It's dependent on what we are pursuing. And actually, contentment is something you can choose. You can choose to be content or not. So if we can choose where contentment is going to come from, let's see what Paul has to say. And I believe what he has to say to us is that true contentment comes from godliness in the heart not wealth in the hand. That true contentment comes from godliness in the heart, not wealth in the hand. 
Now, just to get on the same page, so we're talking the same definition of words, let me talk to you about what I think the definition of contentment is, and we'll carry that throughout this morning as well. Contentment speaks of having a sufficiency or having enough. Contentment grows from this heart attitude of being satisfied in God and living God's way. Contentment means we find our sufficiency, our enough, in Jesus. And as we go through our verses this morning, I just want to, I have three things that I see in this passage that will help guide us into how to live in this practicing contentment in our lives. Now, I'm going to give you what each of them are, and then we'll dig into them a little bit. We'll talk about them. First one is we practice contentment through responding to godly teaching. Now, Paul warns against certain teachers. These were false teachers. We've heard about them all throughout this, this book of Timothy. There were false teachers in the book of Ephesus, in the church in Ephesus. And here he identifies three characteristics with these guys who are teaching. First of all, he says, if anyone teaches otherwise, otherwise than what? Well, that's the NIV translation. The English Standard Version, or translation of this, says a different doctrine. So it could be read, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, and to godly teaching, we'll pause because there's more to the sentence, but I want to stop right there. Teaching a different doctrine, that phrase is actually one Greek word. It means to teach something other than what has been taught before. We saw that same word all the way back in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, which, which Paul wrote. He says, command certain men to, not to teach false doctrines any longer. So clearly throughout this entire letter to Timothy, these things are still a problem. And any teaching different from... The Christian doctrines based on God's word was to be considered false teaching. Paul goes on to say, secondly, that these false teachers, another way you can identify them is they do not agree with sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching. They do not agree. It's like contrary to sound instruction. It's opposed to sound instruction. And then this idea of sound, this word sound carries the idea of wholesome or healthy. We use it in our, in our culture this way, when we say, that person is of sound mind, or that person is of sound body and mind. The teachings of Jesus, then, are sound teachings. They are teachings that bring us wholeness, health. They are life-giving. See, the teachings of Jesus, when we follow them, they're going to nourish us. They're going to strengthen us. They're going to draw us closer to God. And this godly teaching is teaching that moves us, not just from our head, but to action. It moves us to godly living. But these teachers who are teaching us were not merely just, oh, we made a mistake. That's not really what we wanted to teach, but we did. No, no, no. They were not well-intentioned teachers who had simply made a bad mistake. Their motivations were evil. Look at what Paul lists as who they are in verses 4 and 5. I don't want this said about me. How about you? Conceited, think more highly of yourself than you should. Understand nothing. Envy, strife through words, controversies, malicious talk, evil suspicions, not just some friction, constant friction. And a corrupt mind has been robbed of the truth. Paul's just revealing their character. I mean, these are not flattering words, of course. They were not seeking God's kingdom or God's truth, but merely seeking to get rich. This is what he says their motivation was. Now, bringing that in today, unfortunately, we still have a problem in our, in our world today uh, with, when it comes to false teaching. 
There's still false teachers out there for sure. And Paul would warn us, be on the alert. Watch out for these false teachers, mainly those guys and gals who want to seek financial gain. Because in the end, they're going to lead you to a life of discontentment. Now, false teachers then was you had to hear them in a live context. False teachers today are all over the place, aren't they? We have access to so many sources of teaching, we have to even be, I think, more on alert. I listen to four different podcasts weekly. How many do you listen to? Who are these people I'm listening to? What kind of teaching are they bringing? How about a TED Talk? They may sound good, but what is the teaching? What is the value that they're bringing? Uh, How about YouTube videos? No longer just about movies and fun stuff. There's like teaching on there. You can learn theology on there, and you can learn non-theology on there. So my point is, is the content I'm consuming, is it allowing my mind and my heart to be free from internal strife that leads to discontentment, or is it adding to that? Are all these influencers in my life, because when we submit to that, we need to be discerning about what we listen to. Is it leading me to greater envy, greater discontent? Those are questions you can ask yourself as you listen to the input that's part of your life. Let's be discerning about what we listen to and not just willy-nilly go all over the place, say, ah, that guy sounds good, I'm gonna give him a shot. Let's be knowledgeable of what God has for us in the teachings he brings us. We practice contentment by responding only to godly teaching. Here's the second thing. We practice contentment through pursuing godliness. Now, that seems pretty obvious, right? But it says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So you got to put the two together. you got to put godliness and contentment. Now, godliness is not to be a means of a financial end. We're not to gain financial through godliness, but godliness, when combined with contentment, he says, will bring a a different kind of gain, a great gain, and I'm going to propose that it is a spiritual gain. Now, let's look at godliness for a minute. What in the world is godliness? Some of you may may have some ideas about this, but I say it's the right response to the teachings from God. It is the right response to the teachings from God. It's living in obedience to the Christian life. It's living not just listening to these things, but responding to them. It's it's living a life where we say yes to the things of God in our life, even when it's hard to say yes. And when we say yes, and we're responding to that, that voice of God in our heads called the Holy Spirit, then when we do that well, and over a long period of time, you know what Galatians said. Paul wrote to the Galatian church, he said, Fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. A type of love that goes way beyond probably what we're thinking about love right now that's maybe hard to love people sometimes. Peace. Patience. Joy. Kindness. Gentleness. Self-control. That's important stuff that we have to respond to. That's the fruit of that. And this this putting God's word into our lives and listening to the right kind of teachers is continually feeding ourselves with the content of the scriptures and then responding by living those words from God. Now, we learned from chapter four, a couple, few weeks ago, that godliness requires training. It's not like a switch you turn off and on. It requires you to know some things and then put them into practice. It requires developing those inner spiritual disciplines, those inner spiritual qualities that, that will at time become obvious to those who know us. 
The great gain here is not financial. The great gain is having this ability to have a great spiritual oneness with God our Heavenly Father. And I don't think anyone would argue with me. We desperately need that, both as individuals and as a church. Because we're talking about how to be the best church family we can. This word contentment is about having enough. Contentment grows as we grow in finding our sufficiency in Jesus. So you may ask, where am I not finding my sufficiency in Jesus? Lord, help me to turn that around by the power of your spirit in my life and help me to live in a better, contented way, in a growing contentment. Paul, I think Peter... He wrote one of, those, one, of those past, one of those verses that just always comes to my mind uh, when I think about stuff like this. It was found in chapter 1 uh, of 2 Peter. And he wrote this. He says, God's divine power. Now, that's the strongest kind of power you can find. God's divine power has given us, every, has given us everything we need for what? A godly life through our knowledge of him. Now, to the point, if you follow Peter a little bit longer, he goes, we get to even participate in the divine nature. How about that for a gift? We get to have the ability to overcome sin. We have the ability to participate in the divine nature. Why? Because we have escaped the corruption of the world. That's the promise we have. And as I read that again, I go, I want that. Who wouldn't want that? Well, how does discontentment take us away from that? At some point, we've got to decide in our life, am I going to live my life as a person who always wants more, or am I going to live my life as someone who says, God's been good to me, i got enough? If your answer is more, just let me tell you right now, your answer will always be more. No matter how much you get, no matter how many more things you have, they will never satisfy the desire for more things. Why? Because if your life is ruled by the word more, no matter how much you get, you will always want more because more is never enough. How many times do we buy something and then 10 days later or two weeks later, it was so much we had to have that thing and then we don't care about it anymore. We need more. We need something else. Listen, I don't care whether you're making 50,000, 500,000, or 50 million bucks a year. That's not enough, probably, if you have this idea of more. There are plenty of millions of millionaires out there who have everything they need, everything they want, and more, and they're still needing more. J. Paul Getty was quoted one time as saying, you know, he's a very rich guy. He's dead now, but the guy has done so much uh, financially in good ways, but also he just was asked, somebody, how much is enough? You know what his answer was? One dollar more. I go, wow, that is just so true of this attitude of more. So you can either choose the word enough or you can choose the word more. If you choose enough, then enough is what's going to rule your life. And then no matter how much you have or how little you have, you'll have the ability to be growing and being satisfied with what you have. Choosing contentment, which we get a choice to do, means deciding that you will let go of this word more in your your life and you will hold on to enough. Now, Paul, in another place in the Philippians, when he wrote to the church in Philippi, just a quick quote, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I go, whoa, Paul, that sounds pretty powerful. I know what it is to be in need, so he's experienced that. I know what it is to have plenty, I've experienced that. I have learned the secret of, of how to live in contentment. 
And I want to go, Paul, well, talk to me about it. Tell me the secret. What is the secret? Well, he's experienced both of these things, so he's seen some things. He understands some things. And I think because of him living in, that, in both situations, he knows things that, that, that have helped him live in this contentment. But at the, after this passage, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He's speaking to Jesus. That's the secret. That's the secret. His reliance, his complete reliance in the totality of his life was on Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, as I've been across the country or overseas in Kenya, and I know people who've gone to, to international missions who are go teams and they come back, you know, one of the things they, they, they talk about is the contentedness of the people they go see and spend time with in light of how little they have and how primitive it can be in, in rural areas. I experienced that myself, and some of the people on the team just said, I don't get it. How can these people be happy? How can they be content? And they're even to the point where these people who have very little, they're so happy about life that, you know what? <laughs> they invite you into their home. And, I, and even though there was a dirt floor, this person had an old beat-up couch, and they made me sit on the couch when I wanted to sit on a hard chair. Let them sit on their own couch. And they gave me the best of what they had, and I go, whoa, I need to learn from this. I need to learn from this. It's a great example to us. This is a heart thing. It was a heart thing for them. Our contentment reveals what's lacking. Our discontentment reveals what's lacking in our heart. So here's my challenge. Look at your heart. Consider, is that word more than enough or enough? And then decide, God, how can you turn me from one place to another? Because I want to be a reflection of you. See, I think what Paul learned as well is that having more is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with, with working to improve your situation. What is wrong is when you feel, I got to, I must do this. This is all that my life is going to be about in order to be content. So the next thing gives, Paul gives us is some important perspectives about this more and enough. Look at verse 7. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. So let me ask you, how much did you bring into this world? You can answer that one. Nothing. nothing. Just my naked body. What am I going to take out of this world? <laughs> Maybe someone to put some clothes on it, I don't know. You know, there's this saying that's gone around. You've probably heard it before, you know. You never see a hearse towing, uh, towing a U-Haul. So true. There's also a little bumper sticker a long time ago that says, he who with the most toys wins. That's not true. He who with the most toys doesn't win. And then Paul elaborates a little bit in verse 8. He says, but if we have food and clothing and high-speed internet and three cars, air conditioning, open concept, floor plan, a 4,000-square-foot house with four bathrooms, designer suits, closet full of the best clothes and latest clothes, and an RV, we will be content. You know, that's not what it says, right? I don't know about you, but I, I can remember a time when we didn't have cell phones, didn't have internet at all, let alone high-speed internet. And I was trying to think back, was I happier during that time? Was I less stressed during that time? Maybe. But I sure like that cell phone. I sure like the connectedness it gives. Because many of these luxuries that we take as essential, so our basic life, we've lived without them. And you know what? We survived. 
We survived without them. We didn't used to freak out when our battery went down to 10% on the phone and, or, or, there, or there's no Wi-Fi where I'm at and I've just got to connect, you know. But we as humans, we do have basic needs, and Paul addresses this. He says we need food and we need clothing. The food here is just that general word for food we eat that sustains us. It also includes the liquids like water and the things we drink that sustain our life. And the word clothing is a word that simply means covering. So it includes not only the the clothes we wear, but the roof over our head, our homes. We have those elements, those things we have to protect us from the elements. Food, clothing, shelter. Now that seems pretty... Basic, but you got to ask Paul, is that all? I live in America after all. Is that all? And it's probably not. For what Paul is defining is not the maximum that is permitted to be to the believer, but the minimum that, that is compatible with contentment. He says if you get below that, it's going to be really hard for you to content if you, be content if you don't have food, clothing, or shelter. Which is why I'm really glad that our church is involved with trying to help those people who don't have food and clothing and shelter. We're trying to even add some new stuff in that area. You see, this is clear because he has already, Paul has already portrayed God as the good creator. Go back to chapter four, and it says, those gifts we are to receive and enjoy are good because they came from a good creator. And later, in two weeks, Pastor Dan is going to talk about the ending of this passage, and it's going to talk about God has provided richly us with everything for our enjoyment. Enjoyment. I think Paul is promoting contentment in place of materialism, in place of covetousness, which is wanting what everybody else has. Think about Paul who spent time in prison, who experienced beatings, who, who was been run out of town, and in the midst of this and way more painful times, he learned to be content in every way? Wow, Paul, that's a great secret. It wasn't because he didn't want to be comfortable. He was filled up with the presence of God, would be my guess. And the presence of God in our lives brings this quality of life that when it's experienced is what ultimately brings exactly what we need and what we really truly deep down desire. It brings us the best life possible. Paul is saying, when we have the basic necessity of life, then we can say, I'm an enough guy, not a more guy. So let me get real vulnerable with you for a minute about my own life. I remember a time when I lived more hours of my day in the sadness, depression, discouragement over what I didn't have than feeling satisfied and content with what I did have. And for me, it was about money or the lack of it and what the lack of it created in my heart. You see, prior to coming to LBF, still early in my career outside the church, I was making good money and I was enjoying what I was doing and it provided for my family, my growing family. And then this founding pastor, who was a good friend, he he came to me one day and he says, I want you to come on staff. You know what I told him? You can't afford me. You can't afford me, Ray. What does that say about my heart? I'm embarrassed. If I, if I didn't know you guys so well, I wouldn't want to say that in front of you tonight. I go, really? I said that? Because I knew that coming on staff at the church was going to mean a big reduction in pay, and, and I wasn't even willing to consider that because of the big reduction in pay. I wasn't willing to say, well, maybe God's got something on his heart that I could do in my... I, I wasn't aware of that. But as God does what God does, 
with somebody who's open and wants to grow and wants to learn over a period of, I think it was at least six months or so, he changed my heart and he confirmed things through my wife, Miriam. And so I said, I'd love to come on staff, but you know what? That wasn't the end. (laughs) It, It was not the end of me learning about being content financially. You see, in the early days of LBF, money was scarce. There were times when paychecks were held, several, sometimes more than several weeks at a time. But you know what? Those bills, they keep coming. My family kept getting hungry. They kept needing clothes. My house payment kept coming. Raising a family of seven at that time was expensive. And then Christmas came. <laughs> really? And I wanted to buy more for my kids than I couldn't. And so what did I do? I allowed to go in, and I allowed depression to come into my heart, and I felt discouraged. I said, what have I done? I mean, do we have food? Yeah. Do we have clothing? Yeah. Did we have a home? Yeah. And a bonus, I had cars and some other stuff but I wanted more. <laughs> now let's just say it really wasn't a great time in the Keith household during those years. As the head of the house, I'm sure my attitude made it miserable for my entire family. Now that's been a long time ago, back in the 80s, and I'm grateful to God for how he's been patient with me and how he, present tense, is growing me to, to, to be more content with the financial place I'm in But I also say there are days that this lack of contentment just rears its ugly head in my thoughts and in my heart. And what I thought I had learned, I realized, oh, still got some way to go. Or it hasn't been conquered yet. And I think about this just as this quality of surrender. You know, as Christians, we surrender our lives to Jesus, right? We surrender everything to Christ. And then over time, we start taking things back. I'm going to take that back because I don't really want to surrender that. Or I don't want to surrender that. I'm taking that. I think this whole area of contentment is just like that. I think we can start out being content and then something happens and and we become less content. Part of that for me is I get, we get a lot of messages, ads every, every day, right? And what do those ads tell me? I need this to be happy. I need this to be happy. I need that to be happy. It's literally an assault on my mind and my heart. Do you know I did some work on this and studies show that the average person in America receives about 4,000 different ads per day. And that more than half of those ads deal with cars, trucks, and beauty products. We just can't get away from it, can we? Can't get away. And there are are ads on Instagram and Facebook and Spotify and digital news networks and and on every Google item you search on the side. Do you know there are even gas stations today that have TVs up and you're pumping gas and they tell you what you need because they're there and it's, it's booming in your ears? I mean, how do you get away from that? And I heard someone once say recently that that Pinterest could drive a woman to drink. Is that true? (laughs) I don't know if that's true or not. (laughs) You know, especially as we approach Christmas, what, what do we want to have? We want to have the house decorated. We want to have the perfect tree. We want to have the perfect everything. And we're not content until that happens. Listen, it feels like a losing battle, doesn't it? It's so hard, isn't it, to be content in our culture. It requires so much discipline to overcome the temptation to not succumb to those messages and see and hear. We see here everywhere. Now, here's how I look at this. 
A pastor that I know says this. He says some things in life should be considered a problem to solve. And other things are attention to manage. And I don't know about you, but for me, this item of contentment is much like surrender. It's attention to manage. I'm not going about life, I'm going to conquer this, I'm going to conquer this, but I want to wake up each day and say, I want to learn to have enough in my heart anyway with what you've given me. We practice contentment through pursuing godliness. So two more verses, 9 and 10. Here's what I learned. We practice contentment through loving God, not money. Here Paul just challenges the world's view about about that and and what a lack of contentment can do to ourselves. Look what he says in verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That does not sound good. See, these are people who want to get rich. These are people who want to have an abundance. These are people who say, I have to have more. I can't be satisfied with enough. Now, he's not saying, if you get rich, this can be trouble. He's saying those who want to get rich will fall into ruin. I mean, you can even want to get rich, and you can fail at it, (laughs) and you can have trouble. You see, here we're back to that choice, aren't we? More enough. And Paul says this wanting more is a temptation, and it's a trap. The desire to be rich is by its very nature a desire that cannot be quenched. Those who want want to be rich will never experience contentment because they never have enough. Jesus warned us about this. He says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But it can be so easy for us to get caught up into thinking my life is measured by what I own rather than saying I want to measure my life by how often I say yes to the things of God and how how wonderful I think he's been to me. This is where real life is found, in loving and serving people, in loving and serving God. (laughs) Paul says "Those, those who want more are going to fall into foolish and harmful desires that plunge the people into ruin. Notice that these desires are foolish and they're harmful. They're foolish because they can never be satisfied. And they're harmful because they're going to draw us away from the things that truly matter in our life. Unchecked, these desires will literally plunge us or sink us deeply into ruin and destruction. Picture a drowning man holding this big bag of stuff It's all the stuff that is valuable to him. It's it's all the stuff he's accumulated. It's the more bag, all right? It's dragging him under. And as he fights to keep his head above water, he's gasping for air. And all the time he's crying out, I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. See, the temptation of money eventually traps people into doing anything to get money, sometimes illegal, sometimes immoral, probably always hurting other people. Why does that desire for money eventually destroy us? Look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, you've been around a while, you know this verse is often misquoted. Some people say money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. 
It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. There is nothing evil with money itself. Money is a tool that can be used to help others and to further God's kingdom. Money supports churches all over the country, all over the world. Money helps feed hungry and clothe poor people. Money supports the work of missionaries. Those are just some ideas of what money can do. And obviously... Well, God doesn't need money. He can use money by generous people who have it under control to further his kingdom. See, these people can give because they control their money, not their money controlling them. There's the difference. See, it's not money itself that is evil, but it's the love of money that is evil. And Jesus said in one of his teachings, you can't serve both God and money. Paul goes on to say, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here, a lack of contentment evidenced by a love for money just eventually could lead you away from God, away from the faith, because that's the focus of your life. But notice, all this is unavoidable. How is it avoidable? They've done it to themselves. They have pierced themselves with many griefs. They have brought the troubles on themselves. There's a turnaround we can do with this. There is a turnaround. So what do you do with a root? If, if it's the root, if money, if the love of money is the root, what do we do with the root? Usually dig it up, right? Throw it away so you can have a nice level ground. How do we dig it up? Let me just suggest a few things that maybe can help develop our heart as we yield ourselves to them. Focus on what God has already allowed you to have, not just physical things, relationships, spiritual, spiritual things. Do you know your sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ? Don't, don't be treating that casually. It's big stuff. And then he says, you can conquer sin. One sin at a time. You yield to me. That's big stuff. There's a lot of things that we can focus on. Hey, stop thinking about what you don't have. You know, I'm driving down the road, and, and I have this uh, weakness towards cars. And so I'll see, you know, there's, there's this car that maybe is just ca catching my eye. You know, I'm content driving my CRV until, wow, that light green exotic car just drove by. Wow, wouldn't it be nice? I am so discontent right now. You know, <laughs> we could be doing good until those things come, so stop thinking about what you don't have. Refuse to envy what other people have. That's the same thing with the car illustration. Refuse to en the envy. Enjoy, be thankful, be grateful. In fact, giving thanks to God is one of the most healing things you can do for the things that you have. Give thanks to God often. Count your blessing, count them one. You know that song? <laughs> See, Paul's secret to contentment revolved around his complete reliance on Jesus when he says, I can do, I mean, all things. Not some things, that was going to be funny, but it didn't work. I can do all things through Christ who what? Gives me Strength, not physical strength always, but spiritual strength. So we're going to have a time of response in just a moment. Because for me, it's not about just unloading all this information on you, but I'm trusting that God has been at work in your heart. I'm asking God to do that, whether I did a good job up here or not. I'm asking God to get the message through about contentment. And I'm hoping that you would be willing to consider coming forward and having someone pray for you today. What word characterizes you? The more or enough. Remember, this is a heart issue. And remember, 
There's always an er involved. There's always an er involved. You know what I mean by that? Hers is newer. His is faster. She is nicer. Her kids are smarter. His house is bigger. She is thinner. He is providing better. She is prettier. See, there's always this er involved. And when we focus on that er, it's like Solomon said, it's like chasing after the wind. We cannot wind in that thing. And part of doing church and being the best church we can is to practice contentment and to say, I'm going to work towards doing better in this area of contentment. So when you feel yourself drifting in one direction or another, you need to say to God, help, help, help me. Help me get to somebody who is a good friend of mine who can walk with me. Help me come to prayer in you and help me to overcome this, this thing that's causing, creating discontentment in my life. This isn't about doing nothing. It's about refocusing your energies and your efforts and pursuing the life that God offers. We practice contentment by choosing contentment and by depending on the Holy Spirit's power in our life to enable us to change our hearts and to be able to overcome the temptation that is all around us with the 4,000 plus ads we face every 